Good day, dear listeners. Steve Prida here with the Management Blueprint. And I have Danny Kohampur, the CEO of True Tourism Development Advisors, a New York-based digital strategy and marketing agency that helps tourism authorities, boards, associations, and tour companies improve international visitor growth through innovation. Danny, welcome to the show. Steve, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited. So I don't think we have had someone from the tourism sector on the show ever, and especially your niche advising countries on how to attract uh, tourism. That looks very, very unique. So how did you <laughs> land in this tourism marketing field? How does one discover this this place, this space? Sure. Well, first of all, again, thanks for having me. And, and I appreciate being your first tourism person on the podcast, especially coming off the heels of such a, a tough time for the industry. Excited to be able to represent. How I got started. So I've actually worked in the tourism and government space for about 10 years, really looking at how to help tourism boards, which are in most cases, government agencies or government adjacent, help them better represent their destinations abroad. So I've been doing that for many years, but I decided to start my company about three years ago because of uh, an actual, a trip that I took that really inspired me. And I can get into that a little bit later, but you know, for the most part, I've been in the space for a while and it's also extremely important now. With COVID, it really wiped out, for the most part, travel for about a year and a half. And there was constant strategizing. How do we get it started again? What do we have to do? What innovations do we have to implement? And all of those best practices came to the fold and uh, we were able to bring into Trove. Okay. So what are the critical ingredients to this business uh, to being successful in marketing destination. I saw that you're working with Cambodia recently. What do you guys need to do in order to make this a success? Yeah, it's a very good question. So every engagement that we have with a tourism board has a similar blueprint on how, of how we approach it, but every client is vastly different. So what I say is to account for that, we approach a conversation usually with about a two and a half hour call where we try to understand what are their actual needs. Because in most cases, in all cases, they're very different depending on the destination. For instance, Cambodia's focus is not on bringing visitors to the temples like they've done for years. It's about diversifying that product so that visitors can actually go all around Cambodia, which is a beautiful country full of flora, fauna, ocean, beach, beautiful beaches that nobody knows about, how to extend that a little bit and disperse them a little bit better. So that was the goal in Cambodia. And that we only gained from being able to sit with them for about two and a half hours, understanding who they wanted to target, understanding how they wanted to target them, how they've been doing it before, and really looking at what's worked in the past for Cambodia and what some of the opportunities are. We also, for every project, we have a, a software that we uh, have configured in-house that essentially tells us what people are saying online about a destination. So all social media channels, online channels, blogs, Reddit forums, we try to understand what are people saying about this destination and how are we actually going to be able to take all that information and bring it forward. So we use that 
for every single project, but we gain valuable insights that are different for every destination. Interesting. So do you encounter when your prospective client or your actual client is surprised that the conversation is about different places than what they would expect it to be? Yes. In a lot of cases, there is that distinction between what we think it's going to be and what our client thinks it's going to come out of it and what actually comes out of it. We actually find that in most cases, there is a difference because destinations have for so long been working on these marketing campaigns. They've been focusing on a target market that's worked for years. But after 2020, everything was turned on its head. Right. So we have found that, especially in recent years, in the last two and a half years, there's been a major difference in target markets and what kind of things that people are looking for. They're not looking to go into the sweltering heat of an urban city anymore. They're looking to get out there, do new things, see different things. And the people that are traveling are different. Okay. Backpackers are actually increasing in in the amount that they're spending, which destinations have for so long looked down on backpackers right? For 10, 15 years have looked down on backpackers as major spenders, but the trends in how much backpackers are spending, for example, over time has changed. So we have seen what destinations expect to see in tourism versus what's actually happening in reality. There are major differences there. Okay. So you work all over the world because all these destinations are in remote areas. So how do you recruit employees and how do you keep them engaged? Uh, I mean, we, we talked about this before that you have a global workforce basically and you're running the show or running the business rather from New York. How do you, first of all, engage your people and how do you keep them motivated? How do you be, keep them connected to your culture? What is your blueprint for that? Yeah. So this is the number one critical success factor of the business. This is actually what I learned in working in government consulting for 10 years is that people need to be happy to come to work. And especially with COVID, the tourism industry was in disarray. Many people lost their jobs and they didn't have a home to go to, not in terms of where they sleep every day, but in terms of their office. The industry was really put on its toes in terms of where do we go next? So tourism professionals were looking for that home away from home at their company, at their job. So when I started hiring people, I thought, what do I have to do to make sure that we're really utilizing the best that this person has to offer? What is their specialty in the tourism industry? Is it urban heritage? Is it tourism marketing? Is it digital in tourism and digital tools in tourism? What is their specialty? And then how do I bring that to the fold? And almost always in 99% of cases, the way to actually bring that to service and bring that to customers is by making sure that that person is happy on the day-to-day. So three questions is, are you happy? And I tend to ask that every day, Uh, All of our client workshops incorporate that element. And that's the number one thing that I learned from my previous employer. Number one thing that I learned in business is if people are not happy every day, it's not going to translate. So I don't tend to ask people constantly, where is this? Where is that? Where are your deliverables? That stuff we cover and that stuff I see already. And if it's not evident, it usually is, right? I tend to instead focus my time with the team on how are you doing? Are you happy? Does this make you happy? What's causing you problems, right? Personal life and professional life. And being open like that 
is the only way I've been able to start my business and only way I've been able to grow uh, and scale the team over time. That's interesting. So people respond to that. And what about the different culture uh, that people come from? I mean, some cultures, people are more open to sharing. Others maybe are more reticent. Do you find that this question works with everyone or you have to kind of mix your approach up a little bit? The question works for everybody because it meets them where they're at. You know, they don't need to share everything about their personal life, but I tend to become very close with the teams that I work with and the teams become very close together. Not only am I asking these questions, you know, we've coached each other to do one-on-one touch bases when new people join to make sure that they're actually working together and they're understanding where they're coming from. But I tend to try to disperse that methodology across the team. But usually if somebody's a little bit more guarded, that's also okay because they tell me, you know, how they're reacting to the client, right? What is the client causing them to feel, right? What are the emotions based on the work that they're doing? What are the emotions based on what they're doing day to day? If I send them to an event, right, which happens a lot, we go to a lot of events in the tourism industry. It's a, it's a, it's an industry that is really big on events and Zoom didn't really take off in the tourism industry. So I tend to, the first thing I ask is not how many business cards did you get? What do you feel about the event? How did it make you feel? What did you gain out of it? Did it teach you something in a new way? That's more important than the the strict numbers. And that's how you grow a team of really people that are fond fond of one another, people that are passionate about tourism, of course, but they're able to bring that passion to one another. And and I, I really have to say that that's the most important part of any business. And it's the most important part of my business. We have software tools that we use, analytics tools that we use. All It's all great, right? But if you don't have people that are actually happy and can be ambassadors for what you're trying to do, doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. People are the most important asset. I like to say that every other asset in the company depends on your people to manage them. So yeah, people must be the most important. Especially consulting and marketing, right? That's what you have. That's your asset. We're not selling a product. We're selling our expertise. And we do have it in spades, right? But if we're not motivated every day, and if we're not motivated, especially because we're a virtual workforce most of the time, right? You know, we have a small office that we go into, but it's not where we do a lot of our work. We're a virtual office all around the world most of the time. How do we keep that motivation alive? That's critical. And that's number one for me. So I understand one-on-one, you you ask this question, are you happy? You get a conversation, you figure out what's going wrong, what's stopping them from being happy, and you can take action. What about uh, creating connections across the team? You're dispersed all over the world. How do you get people engaged with each other? So it's not just a hub and spoke system, or is it just that? No, it's not. So it's a really good question, Steve. That's a very good question. So what we do is anytime somebody new joins, right, they have usually have a specialty. So I just brought somebody on that is a digital marketing specialist in tourism, meaning they know how to promote destinations online and what channels to use. And that's fantastic. It's our bread and butter. I was able to link her up with somebody in our team that is an urban planning specialist. And that's what she does. And they were talking for about seven months. They had calls every week just to catch up, learn about what each other is working on, learn about different trends. They met in person in Rhode Island. We had an event in Rhode Island and they were able to make a connection. And then actually two months ago, a project came up that we won that was around urban planning and digital marketing for a destination, right? So both of their skills came together in a seamless way And had I left it be hub and spoke, 
that would have never happened. And it wouldn't have been as seamless as a team as we've been seeing in the last month and a half. So I tend to actually disperse it more. The team is reaching out to one another. The team is working directly with one another. Also, usually they're based in opposite sides of the world in most cases. One of our digital marketing consultants right now, she's spending three months in Mauritius. Okay, that's because I trust her to, to do work and I trust her that that's where it makes her most happy, right? On the contrary, our urban planning specialist is based right here in the States, right? So they were able to work together even remotely in very different time zones, not only establish a time that works, which is more tactical, but establish, okay, what is our rhythm? How can we get to know each other? How can we learn about what each other does? Because it's so dispersed. It's so distinct. So that's how I set teams up usually. That's that's very interesting. So what's the, the the setup of a typical team? Let's say you have a client engagement. Yeah. Let's say the Cambodia or something else, and you're doing marketing, you're doing strategic planning, uh, you do research. What does a team setup look like? You you probably have local people who can speak yeah. the local language, who've got the relationships. How do you construct your teams? Sure. So it's usually about fifty percent my in-house folks. And then about 30% local folks, and then about 10 to 20% any amount there of folks that I need to hire for a very specific thing. Okay. That's how I set up the team usually. Now, there are three different types of goals that a client usually will have in the tourism space. So a tourism board will come to us or we'll go to them. And there are three usual goals. The first one is to develop their leisure tourism. So every day, you know, Steve and Danny going on vacation. The second is to develop their meetings and events tourism. So we call it mice in the industry, meetings, incentives, conferences, and exhibitions. And then the last tranche is tourism investment promotion. So how do we develop more inbound investment into a tourism destination? Those are the three areas that we help destinations stand out in. Now, all of those have similar team structures where it's about 50 to 60% my team, about 20% people or 20, 30% people that are local, and then about 10, 20% people that we need to find with a very specific speciality. For instance, you know, we had recently a project with Aruba, which is an amazing destination. And that was a project that was a meetings and events tourism uh, project where we, where we worked with them on a digital marketing campaign called One Happy Planner to promote Aruba to meeting and event planners, right? Business meeting and event planners. And that team was structured. It was about, I believe, four to five people that were in-house from our team that we brought to the fold that are specialists in tourism and marketing. We had one, in that case, um, new person that we were able to hire uh, that was a specialist in a certain kind of business event that you don't necessarily see every day called incentives. And then we had two people local to Aruba. So that's really typically how we approach a project because if you don't have that local edge, you are not going to succeed because you need that sustainability as you develop and as you work with the client or as you work with the destination. And in most cases, you know, consulting firms will lie to you if they say that in 100% of the cases, we have everybody in-house, right? I didn't have somebody that knew a very specialist form of business event, and I was able to find somebody and bring them on the team. So it defers based on goal, but in terms of team structure, we focus on what we have on the team the great expertise we have, and we usually augment it by local specialists. Very interesting. So you've got uh, in-house people, local people that you hire for have, perhaps for a temporary period, and then you have the specialist contractors and you're molding them all together, and it's it's a globally dispersed different time zones. 
it's going to be a challenging task to do, but it's fun. But, and listen, if it if the project succeeds, we tend to continue to do work in the destination, and we've been seeing that. We tend to be able to be hired consistently year on year based on the work that we've done. And usually that stems from obviously the expertise the team brings, but how we best contextualize it in the environment that we're working in. So if we're developing a marketing campaign to promote tourism to the Pacific Islands, which we do, right? How do we actually contextualize that for the various islands in the Pacific, the sustainability elements of how you have to keep tourism sustainable? How do you have to keep tourism actually interesting for the residents and beneficial for the residents? How do you promote the things that are not necessarily what you want to see every day on those books and the guidebooks, but maybe new gems, new things that are unique about the destination? So we try to incorporate all those elements and that's how we get rehired and rehired and rehired. That's cool. That's cool. So uh, something that caught my eye, one of your recent posts on LinkedIn talks yeah. about uh, virtual reality being used in the tourism industry. What is the application? What does it look like? Sure. So virtual reality was, they tried to get it off the ground for consumers. So for everyday travelers, to be able to use at certain instances during the pandemic. And that, in my analysis, has not come off the ground because looking at a destination through a headset, albeit cool, is not going to quench your appetite in terms of you wanting to go. It just doesn't. And that's declined over time. What has increased over time is actually using XR and VR for trade. So for travel agents to be able to better sell the destination mm -hmm. to clients. So we have seen that increase over time where destinations and travel agents are using VR to understand places better and be able to sell those places. Because oftentimes travel agents, they're not just selling one destination. They're usually selling 20 plus destinations. And we meet them all the time. Every day I'm meeting travel advisors or travel agents that are selling more than one place, often 10 plus, 20 plus, 30 plus places to a variety of different audiences. They need to understand the unique things to do, places to be, people that are in every destination. And I've seen great tech in that space. But in terms of putting a headset on a consumer, thinking that's going to quench their appetite, that does not work. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about travel is that you want to be Put there yourself into the experience middle of the you experience. gotta you gotta be there you yes. know you, you could travel an hour away right to somewhere near your home that's different unique that's still travel that's an amazing travel experience and you'll find little gems here and there but going there the immersive experience is in my opinion not one that can be completely replaced by vr xr tools. Now at Trove, we do a lot of trend analysis. Almost, I think every other month we're doing a white paper or report about a different topic, whether it's a digital trend in tourism, like what we just talked about, or whether it's, you know, trends in meetings, travel, trends in millennial travel. These are things that we're constantly doing to stay abreast of what's coming in the industry in the next six to 12 months, because in the nick of a night, right, you'll see things change and you'll see a new pandemic come to surface you'll see something come up that the industry was not prepared for. And that happens in every industry, but travel, especially because it requires people to move around. So staying abreast of what those potential risks are and staying abreast of some of the new tech in tourism is super interesting to us. And it's something that we're continuing to do. 
So Danny, uh, just before we wrap up, what are yeah. some of the trends that you're seeing in the post, post-pandemic uh, travel world? Sure. We see so many. Let me tell you. So you'll be shocked at the, the, the rates of travel and all parts of the world have gone up significantly and in most cases have met or surpassed 2019 levels, which is fantastic. They are going to very different places. We've seen search results and bookings for outdoor activities, wellness activities, and water-based activities go up significantly post-2019. We've also seen people traveling in groups a lot more, and those folks that are traveling in groups in most cases are booking through a travel advisor because they feel that if they are going in a large group, they need that extra protection, they need somebody to help guide them. We have also found similarly, folks that are going individually are not going with a travel advisor. They're figuring things out on the go. They want a little bit more of a, of a trip that's planned by them, customized by them. So we are seeing what we call free independent traveler rates go up, but not as fast as group travel. Parts of the world are opening up quicker than other parts. So we're finding that uh, obviously American travelers are traveling to parts of the US, uh, Central and South America and the Caribbean, but they're also going to the Middle East and uh, Southeast Asia and the Pacific in higher rates, especially in the last six months than were expected. Why? Because they're new destinations that, that folks didn't really travel to prior to the pandemic in large volume. And these are places that are starting to open up. So parts of the Middle East, uh, like Dubai, but other parts of the Emirates, Bahrain, uh, Qatar is coming up for the World Cup, Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. Fiji surpassed their visitor numbers uh, that they expected. Uh, parts of Southeast Asia. These are new places that people in most cases had not been traveling to in such large volume. And it's starting to increase and increase so quickly. So these are these are some of the things that we've been seeing at Trove. And obviously, you know, there are uh, consumer sentiment indexes that we do that say that people are looking for safety, number one, enjoyment of travel, number two. We've seen that in most cases across the world, barring one or two destinations, the requirements to enter destinations have significantly decreased. So it's a lot more looser and flexible to enter most destinations. You don't need that documentation that you did prior. It defers based on destination, but for the most part, it's becoming a lot more flexible because the industry has realized the importance of the visitor and that the residents have realized that as well. So doing that in a very easy way for that visitor is critical. And then lastly, the last thing I'll say, the last trend that is really important and top of mind. For many years, people spoke about sustainable tourism as a concept, right? What does it mean? How do we actually implement it? Now it's coming to reality. In, I would say, about 80% of cases, destinations are constantly thinking about how do we incorporate sustainability, meaning environmental and social sustainability in terms of what do we do on a day-to-day? So how do we bring in visitors in a way that is not going to wreck the town that we operate in? And that is hypercritical. And that action has started to happen because of a three-year gap in the industry where it's a bit of a refresh, a little bit of a recap and a redo in terms of how we approach tourism. So all very exciting things and uh, a lot of upward growth for the industry. Fantastic. Well, Danny Kohenpur, CEO of Trove Tourism Development Advisors. So if you are connected to the tourism of a unique destination, and you want someone who will figure out what is the uniqueness is about and how, what is the conversation that is going on and 
who should be targeted and with what strategy. Then I think Danny is your man. If people would like to learn more, where can they find you? Uh, how can they connect with you and your team? Sure. Trovetourism.com is our website. And then you could follow us at, at Trove Tourism on Instagram and on LinkedIn, we're Trove Tourism Development Advisors. We're constantly posting about travel and tourism. So if you're interested in that space at all, which I think in most cases people are, check us out. Awesome. Well, Danny, thanks a lot for coming on the show and sharing us uh, your treasure trove of ideas and concepts. Oh, I love that end tagline. Thanks, Steve, so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs>